Jesus taught us to seek regular, consistent forgiveness relationally from our God. True Christians are consistently confessing their sins to God. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever received just punishment for something you did? Maybe a speeding ticket or parking violation comes to mind. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part four of The Believer's New Relationship to Sin. Throughout the Bible, it's clear that God is a God of perfect justice and that all justice must be satisfied. There has to be a payment. Either you pay or somebody pays in your place. And today, Tom will explore the remarkably good news that God is just to forgive your sins because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and gives you a new relationship to sin. Is this true of you? Let's join our teacher for more on The Word Unleashed. First half of Romans 7, Paul struggles with the law and his sin before Christ. But beginning in verse 14 and running through the rest of chapter 7, he's dealing with his struggle as a believer. And where does Paul land? He says, listen, what I want to do, I find myself not doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Why does Paul, and why do you as a Christian experience that? Because of your flesh. There is a part of you that remains unredeemed. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ, but you still have the flesh. And true Christians not only acknowledge their total depravity before Christ, but they also acknowledge their sinful flesh after Christ. Now that brings us to verse 9, and the, the true Christian also confesses his sins consistently after Christ. The true Christian confesses his sins consistently after Christ or throughout his Christian life. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is a truly amazing verse. And in this verse, John describes the nature of the true believer's ongoing confession of sin throughout his Christian life. And in this verse, believe it or not, he teaches us eight crucial truths about confession. Let me just point them out to you, and I hope this will be a great encouragement to you as you think about carrying out this practice of confessing your sins. Eight crucial truths, very briefly. Number one, It's evidence of genuine salvation. Confession of sin is evidence of genuine salvation. Remember, John is contrasting how false Christians respond to their sinfulness and sins in verse 8 with how true Christians respond in verse 9. So regular confession of sin and the genuine effort to turn from that sin mark a true Christian. If you claim to be a follower of Christ but you aren't consistently and regularly confessing your sins to the Lord and seeking His forgiveness, you're not a Christian. That's what he's saying. Because at some level, you are in verse 8, denying the reality of your sinfulness, or you'd be confessing them to the Lord. So it's evidence of genuine salvation. Number two, it has nothing to do with our justification. Our ongoing daily confession of sin has nothing to do with our justification. 
Now, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, we will receive God's forgiveness. If you're a thinking person, and I hope you are, that should raise an important question in your mind. Wait a minute, Tom. I thought at salvation, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were pardoned. And my response to you is, yes, they were. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. God, listen to the, the verb tense, God has forgiven all our transgression. Perfect tense. Happened in the past, continuing results. He has forgiven all of our transgressions. Okay, so why do we still need to keep asking for forgiveness? Why does a sinner who has been totally forgiven, who has been declared righteous before God through justification, still need daily forgiveness? The answer comes in two pictures. The first picture our Lord himself gives us in John 13. Now, I mentioned this recently, so I'm not going to take you there, but let me just remind you of what we saw. In John 13, Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he washes the disciples' feet. Now, you remember when he comes to Peter to wash his feet, Peter says, no, Lord, you're, you're not going to carry out the duty of a lowest slave and wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. To which Peter typically responds, well, then give me a bath. And Jesus says, no, no, Peter, you're misunderstanding. There's a, there's a theological lesson I'm teaching you here. The person who's been bathed, that happened at salvation, doesn't need to be rebathed. They only need their feet washed. And then, of course, Peter permitted it. In other words, at salvation, we were bathed. And Jesus says later in that same text, you are clean You've been bathed and you're clean. You've been forgiven all of your sins. You don't need another bath. You don't need another justification. You just need your feet to be cleaned. That's the daily confession of sin and seeking of God's forgiveness. Let me use another metaphor. At justification, at the moment of your salvation, you came before God crying out for the forgiveness of your sins. Where? You were in the courtroom of God's justice. God was your judge behind the bar. You're coming to God pleading for forgiveness judicially, right? You're looking for judicial forgiveness. I am guilty before God's law. I'm going to be damned. I'm going to be condemned rightly. God, forgive me. So what happens? God does forgive you all of your sins in the courtroom of his justice. Then he does something amazing. The judge comes down from the, from the bench, puts his arm around you and says, I'm going to adopt you as my own son or daughter, and you're coming home to live with me. And he takes you home. Well, guess what? You get home, you get to his house, you get your stuff unpacked, and no sooner has that happened, then you start sinning again. What needs to happen? You don't need to go back to the courtroom. You've been totally, once and for all, forgiven in the courtroom of God's justice. You've been justified. You've been declared right before God, and that will never change. Now, you need forgiveness relationally. Not, re not forgiveness judicially. That happened at the moment of salvation. Now you need it relationally. You've sinned against your father. And so you come seeking his forgiveness. Before, we sought justification with our judge in the courtroom. Now we seek reconciliation with our father at home. Before, we sought judicial forgiveness. Now we seek relational forgiveness. Number three, it's a constant practice. This must be the unbroken pattern of our lives. Literally, John writes, we are confessing our sins. This is an ongoing, constant, regular pattern. I mean, Jesus taught us that, right, in the Lord's Prayer. He says, I want you to pray in this way, Matthew 
6 9. And when are we supposed to pray? Without ceasing. So when you pray, you're supposed to pray in this way. This is verse 12 of Matthew 6. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus taught us to seek regular, consistent forgiveness relationally from our God. True Christians are consistently confessing their sins to God. Number four, it's directed primarily to God. Now, don't get scared by the word primarily. I'll explain in a moment. It's directed primarily to God, this confession. Now, you'll notice John doesn't tell us specifically that we are to confess our sins to God, but that's clearly implied. If God is the one who forgives us our sins, which is clear in verse 9, then it's reasonable to suspect and to conclude that we're confessing our sins to God, right? So that goes without saying. And as we just saw in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus commands us to confess our sins to God. It's a regular practice. Here's what I want you to get. We are to confess our sins always to God. Scripture never tells us to confess our sins to a priest, a pastor, or anyone else to obtain God's forgiveness. In fact, that didn't even happen in the Roman Catholic Church until the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 AD when Pope Innocent III made confession part of Roman Catholic dogma. But Scripture utterly rejects the idea of our seeking God's forgiveness from anyone but God. So we always come to God confessing our sins. That's verse 9. However, Scripture does teach that there are times when in addition to confessing our sins to God, we also are to confess our sins to others. When? When we've sinned against them. In Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, in other words, if you're coming to worship, you're coming to present your sacrifice at the temple, and there remember that your brother has something against you, in other words, you've sinned against somebody, leave your offering there before the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. The implication is go and confess your sin and seek reconciliation with your brother and do it before you even worship. Luke 17, 4 says essentially the same thing. If your brother sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times a day saying, I repent, forgive him. What's the implication? When you sin, you not only seek forgiveness of God, but if you've sinned against someone else, you go to them saying, I repent. Here's what you do. If you've sinned against someone else, you go to them and you, you seek forgiveness from them the same way you seek it from God. You name the sin. Listen, I'm sorry, I sinned against you by fill in the blank, just like you would to God. And then you say, would you please forgive me? I am totally responsible. This is not your fault. I'm not blaming you. It's me. Would you please forgive me? So you seek forgiveness from others that you've sinned against in the same way that you seek it from God. And they're commanded to extend it. The confession of sin should be as wide as those sinned against. So if it's only against God, then you confess it to God. If it's against others, you confess it to them and seek their forgiveness. Number five, it's an admission of personal guilt. It's an admission of personal guilt. This is the meaning of the word confess. The Greek word is a compound word, homologeo. Homo means same, legeo means to say. So literally, the verb confess means to say the same thing implied as God says about our sin. 
In other words, we pass judgment on our sins before God in the same way God would pass judgment on our sins if we stood before him. It's like 1 Corinthians 11.31, if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged by God. Psalm 32.5, David says, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's Psalm 51, verses 1 to 5, where, where David pours out his heart and says, God, be gracious to me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Wash my sin away. By the way, these are great patterns of seeking God's forgiveness, but it's an admission of personal guilt. Lord, it's, it's me. I judge it. I say the same thing about my sin that you would say if I stood before you. Number six, it's always accompanied by repentance. It's always accompanied by by repentance. In other words, it's not good enough just to check the box and say, yep, confess that, move on. You don't confess your sin while holding your crossed fingers behind your back. You know, God, forgive me, but in my mind, I know I'm not going to give this up, and I have no plans to give this up. In fact, I'm planning to do this again. Listen, you're not going to get God's forgiveness. God knows your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind, and he's not going to extend real forgiveness unless that confession is accompanied by repentance. Mark Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Don't hide them. Don't hide from God. Don't hide the reality of who you are from God. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. That doesn't mean, by the way, that you'll never commit that sin again. But it does mean that you are serious about hating that sin. You come to God and you say, God, forgive me for this sin. I hate it. I don't ever want to commit it again. And I'm taking real steps to cut this sin out of my life. Don't play games with God. Confession is always accompanied by a spirit of repentance. Read 2 Corinthians 7, 9, where Paul talks about what godly sorrow looks like. And what he says is, listen, you are going to leave no stone unturned to make everything right with God and everybody else when it comes to your sin. Number seven, it's specific and comprehensive. It's specific and comprehensive. If we confess our sins, our particular and individual acts of sin, as well as categories of sin, even all of our sin inclusively. In other words, sometimes it's God, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. Other times it's God, I sin often with my mind. And sometimes it's God, here are the specific sins I've committed against you, please forgive me. Now, this doesn't mean we have to confess every sin specifically and in detail to get God's forgiveness, because you don't even know all your sins, neither do I. And according to verse 7, as we are walking in the light, the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from all sin. But what this does say is we are to regularly confess our sins, both in categories and specific sins. If you want great examples of this, study Nehemiah 9, Psalm 32. Psalm 51, Psalm 130, Daniel 9. You know, those passages are wonderful passages. They provide a pattern for my own confession. When I'm confessing my sin to God, I love those, those passages because it gives expression to my heart. That's what they're there for. That's what they're intended to do. Walk through those psalms, through those passages. Now, when it comes to what you confess, this includes sins of omission as well as sins of commission. It includes sins at every level, Actions, words, attitudes, thoughts, and motives. Study uh, Mark 7, verses 
20 to 23, where Jesus says, don't just stay at the fruit level. Go down to the heart and your thoughts and even go down to the motives and what drives you. Confess sin at every level. A final truth about confession, verse number eight, is it receives God's full forgiveness. It receives God's full forgiveness. This is the rest of verse nine. Now in this, as we, as we hear about and learn about God's full forgiveness, he teaches us a couple of lessons here. The first is the reason for this forgiveness. Notice, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. The word faithful means dependable, trustworthy. God is dependable to act consistent with his character and to keep his promises. He's dependable to be his gracious self. That's why I can expect God to forgive. You remember Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7? What does God say about himself? He says, I am gracious. I delight in doing good to those who deserve exactly the opposite. And then he goes on to say, I abound in steadfast love. And listen to how God explains his character. I am the God who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's God's nature. He's faithful to that nature. He will do what is his character to do. And I love the way it's stated in Psalm uh, 86, verse 5. Psalm 86, verse 5, you, Lord, are good, and you are, this is your nature, ready to forgive and abundant and steadfast love to all who call upon you. So the reason we can expect God's forgiveness is because he's trustworthy, he's dependable to his own character and to his promises. He promises forgiveness. It's not just who he is, it's what he's promised. For example, in the New Covenant, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. God, if you're in Christ, you're a member of the new covenant. And here's the promise God promised to make to you. This is Hebrews 10, 17. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's God's promise in the new covenant. That's for the forgiveness in salvation. But what about the forgiveness daily as we confess our sins? It's 1 John 1, 9. God promised, if you confess, he will forgive. What's the basis of this forgiveness, this full forgiveness that we enjoy? The reason is his faithfulness. The basis is his righteousness. Look at it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. What's that? Why would he say righteous to forgive? The word righteous means conforming to the standard of right. It even means according to the law, in keeping with the law. In other words, it's just of God to forgive. You say, wait a minute, time out. You mean there are times when it's unjust for God to forgive? The answer is yes. It's unjust for God to forgive sinners if the price hasn't been paid for the sin. God cannot be just and forgive sin if the penalty hasn't been paid. You understand that at a human level. You wouldn't expect a judge over in Dallas or Fort Worth to have this horrible criminal come before them, and the criminal says, listen, you know, judge, I'm so sorry. Would, would you please forgive me? And the judge says, you know what? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Leave my courtroom. No problem. You'd say that's a, that's a violation of justice. Well, the same thing is true with God. God, it, some people have this sentimental idea of God that, you know, you come to God and you say, God, please forgive me. And God is this sort of sentimental old grandfather figure who says, oh, sweetheart, come here. I forgive you. That's not the God of the Bible. 
The God of the Bible is a God of perfect justice, and that justice must be satisfied. Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Let that sink into your mind. There has to be a payment. There has to be the death of the criminal. Your death or somebody's in your place. God's perfect justice has to be satisfied. And here's the good news. He's just to forgive your sins because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. Look down in chapter 2, verse 2. He himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's justice for our sins. That's why God can be just and forgive you. He's not sentimentally saying, oh, well, okay, it's fine. No, he's saying, I can forgive you because my justice has been fully and completely satisfied, not in you, but in one who stood in your place. And he paid the debt in full. Romans 3.25, God displayed Jesus publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith so that he could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's the only way it could happen. The only basis on which God can forgive our sins is the redemption purchased by Jesus Christ through the shedding of his own blood. He satisfied the justice of God. Christ's death was his complete payment to satisfy the justice of God for every sin of every believer who would ever believe, and therefore there is forgiveness for the repentant sinner in salvation, and there is forgiveness for the confessing believer ongoing in his daily confession. That's 1 John 1, 9. So think of it this. When you come to confess your sin, this is what you plead with God on the basis of. You come and you say, Father, I don't deserve it, but it's your nature to forgive. You've said you are a God ready to forgive. You forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, and you've promised to forgive. And so I'm here asking you to be faithful to who you are and to what you promised. That's my only hope. And then to his justice, Father, your just wrath against my sins has been fully satisfied in the death of Jesus. Forgive me because he paid my debt. Always remember that it was at the cross that Christ purchased your forgiveness. Now, he goes on to assure us here of that full, complete forgiveness, the assurance of our forgiveness. Here's the result of God's faithfulness to his character and his promises and the fact that his justice has been satisfied in Christ. Notice what he says. He says, if we confess he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here God promises to respond in two ways. It's really one way, describe two different, two different expressions. The first is to forgive us our sins. Literally, to be forgiving us our sins. The Greek word for forgives here means to send away, to let go, to, to give up a debt by not demanding payment for it. Think about that. God is promising that in response to our confession, he will not hold on to our sins. He will not cling to the debt we owe him. Instead, he will let our sins go. He will send each one away. He will pronounce the debt completely paid and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is really synonymous with forgiveness. Some see it as the cleansing of sanctification, but here it's really just another picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness sees sin as a debt that needs to be forgiven. Cleansing sees sin as a stain on my soul that God needs to clean off. It's like Psalm 51 too. Cleanse me, O God. 
cleanse me. Notice we are cleansed not by our confession, but by the blood of Jesus, God's Son, verse 7. So here's God's promise to the true believer who has a pattern of his life is confessing his sins. If you're that person, listen to God. I will forgive your sins and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the believer's new relationship with sin is shown by the pattern of his life. And as we've seen today, it's shown by his acceptance of his inherent sinfulness and the regular constant pattern of confessing his sins, not to his judge, but to his father. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of The Believer's New Relationship to Sin. Join us again next time for part five. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.